Welcome to the Empowered Feminine Podcast. I'm your host, Kira Foy, mother, author, nutritionist, and women's health expert. I've designed this podcast to help you discover strategies to tame your hormonal chaos, balance stress, and become unstoppable. We'll explore all the things holistic health, success, mindset, motherhood, and creating rock-solid boundaries. Each week, I'll inspire you to level up, not by always doing more, but by being unapologetically you and stepping into your feminine power. As women, we can't always do, force, and push our way through life. That approach always leads to burnout. Join me on my mission to help high achievers like you do less, feel more, and become unstoppable. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Empowered Feminine Podcast. I am your host, Kira Foy. Well, it has been a hot minute since I have uh, recorded a new podcast episode. Things have been pretty busy over here in my life. And I was recently in Kelowna to work on the build of my new house. If you follow me on Instagram at Kira Foy Inc., you would have seen all sorts of pictures um, of the build, which is very, very exciting and also a little bit stressful because there's so many moving parts, right? I'm a single mom, I'm a business owner, I'm building a house. I have literally a million decisions to make every day. So, and that brings me to a topic uh, that I think is so crucial that we start talking about more and that we normalize and that we understand as women. And that is the topic of brain health. And so we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about, you know, how to prevent disease, you know, um, how to reduce your risk factor of Alzheimer's and dementia, if that is something that is in your family health history. But more than that, I want to talk to you about brain fog and some of the things that can cause brain fog and to give you some tips and tools with respect to that. Because as women, we have a much greater risk for brain-related disease than men do. Um, some of that is hormonally um, you know, caused. And, and also it's the changes and again, actually, it's hormones <laughs> because it's the changes that women go through in our life. So when we have children, um, you know, even adolescents, there's so many changes going on in the adolescent brain of a young woman. And then when we have a baby, um, I'm sure that you have experienced baby brain if you have been if you were a mom. And also when we go into the transition into perimenopause and then to menopause, there is also a time there where, you know, we feel foggy. Okay. Many women feel foggy. I hear this in a ton in my practice. And so I want to differentiate between brain fog and disease. Okay. Very, very different. Um, now that's not to say that if you were having these, you know, signs and symptoms and, you know, maybe you've worked on it for a while, it's definitely something that you should talk to your healthcare provider about, but I just want to let you know that it can be very common for many different reasons, this brain fog, um, and that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, early onset 
dementia or Alzheimer's or anything like that. Okay. So when I say that women are much more sensitive, one of the areas that we are sensitive in that can cause brain fog is stress. And I know that I have definitely felt this myself. Um, I had a particularly stressful, you know, early, well, late spring, early summer last year with selling my house, with moving. And again, I was in the building process. I was kind of caught between two houses, like I wasn't in my own space. Um, and I also had dental surgery. There was so many things. Oh, wait, can't forget litigation. <laughs> you know, there's some uh, some family custody things going on. So in any case, tons and tons of stress, right? Like, and, and this is something I, I always talk to my clients about, and I want you to know too, because when we see people on Instagram and you see me working out every day and you know everything looks tickety-boo, I want you to know that behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. And you know, the level of my self-care doesn't change when I'm, you know, stressed or I have a lot on my plate. In fact, I double down on it. I don't work out more, but I definitely sleep more. I definitely do more journaling, more self-care practices, more walking outside, you know, um, a lot of things to just ground me and calm me. So one of the reasons that, you know, women have a greater risk of these of disease um, when it comes to our brain than men has to do with these shifts in our hormones that we have. Okay. So I'm specifically going to talk about what happens when you have a baby. So when we have a baby and, you know, we joke around about, you know, baby brain, but it's actually completely legitimate. So studies have shown that we have a decrease in gray matter in our brain that impacts our memory and some of our executive functions um, when after we have a baby. And just recently, there is a great study, and I'm going to link it in the show notes, a great study about how the same thing happens in perimenopause. So in perimenopause, we also have a decrease in, in gray brain matter. And so it's really important that this information gets out to women, you know, because I think the baby brain thing is like pretty common. So people go through it. It usually lasts maybe close to a year um, for a lot of women. And, but the perimenopause thing, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. And, you know, I'm here to empower you. I want you to know what to expect, you know, what might be going on if you're feeling a certain way um, and, you know, what you can do to empower yourself to feel better and to be able to function better. So that is what we are going to talk about today. So we know that those two particular times, you know, in a woman's life, there is a decrease in brain matter. The cool thing is it actually does bounce back after that, you know, postpartum period. Um, and also they have found that it bounces back once you do transition to menopause. So if you are somebody who is healthy and taking care of yourself and you have healthy um, insulin sensitivity, then that is something that you know you can look forward to that things should bounce back. And there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about that can help you um, to ensure that that is the case for you. Um, but it's it's definitely 
a tough time. And even for myself, this was something that I started to look at because (laughs) this is kind of a funny story, but it always drives my mother, sorry, it drives me crazy that my mother will sometimes start talking about a story or something. And then she completely falls off and it just like, I don't know where the story went or she all of a sudden starts saying something and you don't have the front end of the story and you have no idea what she's trying to tell you. So anyway, um, sometimes lately my kids, my little one has said to me like, mom, you're doing that thing where, you know, I'm talking to her and I'm, uh, I'm saying something and I expect her to kind of know what I'm thinking and what I want her to do. And I'm like, oh, you know, that thing. And it's not exactly obviously what, what I was experiencing with my own mom. However, it is something that triggered me that I went, oh, I'm like annoying her because of this. This is so interesting. And uh, anyway, so I actually started reading a little bit more about this because it's definitely something that my clients are always um, complaining about, especially when they come to me, because there's so many reasons why you can have brain fog and having, you know, too much processed carbohydrates, having your blood sugar bouncing all over the place, having problems with insulin sensitivity, um, all of those things, as well as other hormonal imbalances like adrenal insufficiency or low thyroid can all be creating um, a situation where you're feeling very foggy right? And when you have brain fog, it's also connected to not feeling motivated, feeling depressed, um, and overall just feeling lousy and really impacting your quality of life. So what we are going to go through today are tips that can help you to clear the fog and also help arm you with information that can help you to prevent disease in the future. Even if you have Alzheimer's or dementia in your family health history, it doesn't mean that you too are going to be a victim of that. Okay. So even if we have, um, you know, genes that predispose us for something, we have the study of epigenetics and epigenetics tells us that it's our lifestyle and stress and you know what we eat and all sorts of environmental factors that either turn on or turn off those genes okay so really really critical to understand that so first of all with alzheimer's and and dementia It is a disease that many doctors have said we really should be calling type three diabetes. Okay. And this ties into why women are also more at risk. And I'm going to get to that. So what does that mean? It's basically diabetes in the brain and, and what's happening like with diabetes, you know, this is something that I'm constantly helping clients to to work on, which is insulin sensitivity, right? So what happens is if you are somebody who's been eating a lot of processed foods, if you are not eating balanced meals, like enough protein, fats, and good quality carbohydrates at your meals, you know, if you're just having caffeine for breakfast, 
um, and then maybe a muffin later on, and then maybe a bagel and some cream cheese. All of those things are going to spike your blood sugar. Okay. And when your blood sugar spikes, that's dangerous. So your body is going to send a signal to your pancreas to secrete insulin. And insulin is an overachiever. Insulin's job is to lower your blood sugar to a normal level, but it does its job a little bit too well and it ends up bringing it down lower than baseline. And that's when this roller coaster effect happens. So you have this high blood sugar, you get some energy, you know, maybe you start your day with coffee, you feel okay. And then an hour or two later, you're starting to crash, you're getting cravings. I used to see this at work when I was in corporate all the time, right? There was a pattern about when people decided to go for coffee during the day, right? It was always like, you know, between breakfast and lunch and obviously um, lunch and lunch and dinner, right? And there's very real reasons for that. So what happens is your blood sugar goes high, your body secretes insulin. Okay. And then you have low blood sugar, you get that craving, then you want something like sugar or process, something that's going to get your blood sugar up quickly because low blood sugar is also a red flag for your body, just the same as high blood sugar is. So what happens when we continually do that is that we create a situation where, you know, insulin is a hormone that causes growth. And so it will take that, you know, sugar, that energy that is in your bloodstream and push it into your cells to save it for later, i.e. store it as fat. So insulin really helps your body to store energy, i.e. fat. And the thing is, is if you keep using insulin all the time, so if you can imagine if that was your regular diet and maybe you're, you know, having some juice or maybe you're even having a fruit smoothie you get from booster juice or something, I've checked out the, um, the macros on that. And some of those smoothies have 80 to hundred grams of carbs in them. And those are not complex carbs. Those are simple sugars. So they're a combination of juice and also fruit and fruit is great. You never have to cut fruit out, but you have, you do have to look at how much you are having because it is a simple sugar. It means that it goes into your bloodstream very quickly and gets used very quickly. So it can cause this um, jump in your blood sugar and this insulin um, reaction, right? So when when that happens and you were doing it over and over again, you are a slave to the cravings. You have highs in your energy, you have lows in your energy, and that up and down of your blood sugar and you know secreting hormone on and off all day, that is causing you know so like you don't have a solid foundation. It's causing so much ups and downs in your mood, in your energy, in your cravings. It's like you don't have control of your life. And after a while, years and years, you know, you producing, um, having to use insulin to manage your blood sugar all day, you become less sensitive to it. So your body has to produce more and more insulin. And so that's what we're talking about when I say insulin sensitivity. And insulin sensitivity is very directly um, correlated to your percentage of lean muscle to body fat. And it is why I talk about on this podcast so much about the importance and the, you know, longevity muscle or sorry, longevity organ 
which is your muscles, because you need to hold on to your muscle because we start wasting muscle at 30. It's very, very, you know, gradual, but that is when it starts happening. And the more that we may waste muscle, the higher percentage of body fat gets. And, and then we create, we have this problem, insulin, like reduced insulin sensitivity turns into insulin resistance. Okay. So your body just, you know, becomes so used to all of this insulin that it no longer does its job the way that it should. And that is the development of diabetes, right? So in a non-scientific nutshell, <laughs> so obviously there's lots of science in there, but just to kind of give you an idea and you can see this happening. Like if you get your you know, blood tested and your glucose tested every year with your doctor and they say, oh yeah, you're, you're fine. But go back and look at those tests and see if those numbers are just creeping up year by year. Okay. Because diabetes doesn't just happen. You know, brain disease doesn't just happen. It is a process that is, you know, going on like a decade before you are actually diagnosed. And so when I have clients in my practice and I'm looking at their blood, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at what that trend is, right? Because you don't all of a sudden become diabetic because, you know, now you're two more points, you're two points higher than you were last year. And now you're in the diabetic range. You were in that disease state for a long time. And that means there's so much that you can do if you were aware and you try to prevent that. Okay. The good thing about diabetes is that you can actually reverse it. So if you have not heard that before, I'm here to tell you that a doctor at Guelph University um, did a study on this, proved that you can reverse type 2 diabetes in as little as three months. Okay. So always know that your body is amazing. It will heal and you can do anything. So that's the very first thing that I wanted to set you up with when it comes to thinking about your brain health. The first thing to protect your brain is the same thing that I teach my clients to lose weight, um, to manage their mental health, to manage their energy, to help them sleep better, um, it's, and to manage their mood, right? To manage their mood. So all of those things are connected. So isn't it really amazing when you hear me on this podcast, talk about all sorts of different subjects and that underlying foundation of learning how to manage your blood sugar, that's the critical part. That is part and parcel to just about everything. No, hundred percent, hundred percent, everything um, that any client that walks through my doors wants to tackle. That's the first foundational principle. You can't heal anything if that is not happening. Because also all of those ups and downs, fluctuation in your blood sugar also causes inflammation. And inflammation is the root cause of all degenerative disease. Yes, including um, Alzheimer's and, and cancer and diabetes. Those are all inflammatory-based diseases. So the number one thing I want you to focus on, and you can look for all sorts of other episodes in this podcast, is learning how to manage your blood sugar. That is what is going to help you to reduce the brain fog and prevent disease later on down the road. Okay. That's one of the number one things. If you don't do this thing, right. If you don't get that right, 
none of the other things are going to help. And you're going to have difficulty with them. And you'll understand that when I get to them. So that's the first thing. The good news is um, I'm actually going to start a paid masterclass series where I will be doing a masterclass to dive into these subjects and actually, you know, get on Zoom with you with a PowerPoint, give you materials and really help you to take on this knowledge. Because there's one thing listening to the podcast and going, oh, okay, I, I get it. I get the concept and the idea. It's a totally different thing to apply it and to actually learn and educate yourself on it. Okay. So I really want to take it up another notch because, you know, working with me one-on-one um, is something that is, is, is very high end. And I do have group programs, but they're also not accessible to everybody. And I really want this information to get out to everybody. So keep your eye out for that. So number two, so first of all, you got to watch your sugars. You got to manage your blood sugar, watch that caffeine intake because it does impact your blood sugar. And number two, you need to get enough protein and healthy fats. Okay. So your brain is primarily made of fat. Um, and you know, it's really, really important to support that. So a, you know, super low fat diet is not going to be good for brain health. Um, you know, I always recommend at least 30% of your calories, even if you're trying to lose weight should come from good fats and the quality of fat really matters, right? This is not, you don't want to be getting, you know, fat from fried, fried foods or vegetable oils that are highly inflammatory, because again, those are going to impact your brain health because they're going to impact inflammation. Anything that is going to drive more inflammation in your body is going to have a detrimental effect on your brain. So that means, you know, healthy fats. I typically always want people to look at whole foods for healthy fats. So avocados and nuts and seeds, my favorite being chia and ground flax. Those are, those are definitely my favorite. Um, hemp hearts are great. Um, obviously like avocado, but all of those things, I always want you to try to eat them in the whole food form. You'll get so much more out of it. You'll get more nutrients. Um, and you'll get more volume from that food because there'll also be, you know, some protein, like you have some protein in flax seeds and chia seeds and hemp hearts, et cetera. So you're going to get way more bang for your buck. Whereas if you were just using oils, you're going to get a lot more calories. It's not going to be any volume of food and you're not going to get as many nutrients. So you always want to be eating them in a whole food, um, package as much as you possibly can. And then the protein part, because muscle wasting, as I mentioned earlier, really ties into insulin sensitivity. So making sure that you protect your muscle in your body is also protection for your brain because your brain also starts to waste as well. It starts to get smaller and exercise, which we're going to get to is one of the things that can help you. So having enough protein, and that is going to be a different amount for everybody. There is a calculation based on, you know, your ideal weight or, the, or your goal weight, for example, um, and, you know, what your goals are. But a good rule of thumb is to always try to get 30 grams of protein minimum at each of your main meals. Okay. And that is going to go a long way to help stabilize your blood sugar. 
um, with those fats because fat is the only macronutrient that doesn't impact your blood sugar. So when you eat fat with your protein and your carbohydrates, that helps to balance your blood sugar. That is what I teach my clients. That's why we don't have to get rid of, you know, carbohydrates or we don't have to do keto or we don't have to do any of those things. You can balance out your meals and impact your blood sugar without fad diets. So the one other thing that I don't want to, you know, skip over is that in the first, the number one thing I'm telling you to do is balance blood sugar and cut out those, you know, sugar and um, processed carbohydrates, but don't go no carb. Okay. I've never been a fan of keto, um, especially for women, because it is so high fat, it's low protein and also low carb, right? You can't have a lot of protein on a keto diet because 30% of protein turns into glucose and that'll kick you out of ketosis. So in any case, you know, you want to make sure that you were getting good, healthy carbs, like root vegetables, like berries, like lentils, beans, things of that nature, things that have a lot of nutrition and that are in their original form, right? They come out of the ground like that. Nothing that's been processed or made into a flour or anything. Um, and those healthy fats that are also going to be fuel for your brain and help to balance your blood sugar. Okay. The third thing is going to be managing stress. And this also has to do with hormones. And this is, again, so many of the things that we're talking about here that are going to help you to reduce brain fog and prevent disease down the road have things to, you know, have to do with hormones um, and are things that very often are specific for women. Okay. Specific. So, with stress, obviously stress is not specific to women and get stressed too, but we know that women are far more sensitive to stress. Okay. Our HPA access, our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access can go off kilter much more quickly than a man's. That's for many reasons. We are more sensitive because part of, you know, uh, our evolutionary purpose on the planet is to reproduce. And, and so that's, you know, one of the ways that our body shifts our hormones based on stress, because it is a signal to our body. Oh, you know, she's really stressed. I should allocate some of these hormones, you know, for survival. And this is not a good time for pregnancy, right? So your body reacts and, you know, is going to prioritize, um, you know, raw materials in different areas based on your stress and perceived stress. And with women, we are much more sensitive to emotional stress, right? We are much more intuitive. Um, we pick up on energies. So we are sensitive, not only just for our hormonal system, but emotionally, we are more sensitive. And so for that, for those reasons, it's so important for us to have routines that ground us. It's why I go to bed early. It's why I get up early. You know, I exercise, I journal, um, you know, I, sometimes I pull cards, I pull spiritual cards, I pray, I do all sorts of things to like channel my energy and to 
let anything that needs to come out of me come out of me, whether that's tears, whether that's, you know, energy through movement at the gym, or maybe I put on a song and I move my body. Those are things that you can do to manage your stress. Okay. But you need to have tools, obviously meditation, yoga, breath work, all of those things are super, super important. So there's so many different things that you can do. Getting outside, going for my walk every day, that is also a part of stress management. So, and the more that you are stressed, the more time you need to spend doing those things. So the more difficult life is, the more you need to invest in yourself, not less. Okay. Please remember that the more difficult life is, the more you say no to things outside of yourself, right? Like somebody, you know, want you to do them a favor. It's like, I would love to, but I can't right now, right? You've got to prioritize yourself and you really have to take things down a notch when you are struggling and things are stressful. So pick something that works for you. Yoga, going to bed early, having a nap less than half an hour. Um, And before, I usually say between 2 to 3.30 is a good sweet spot for that. That will help to reduce your stress. Um, you know, the journaling, whatever resonates with you, but find some things and do them regularly. I think everybody needs to journal. I know it's so uncomfortable for so many people, but the more that you need to do it, the more uncomfortable it is because there's things that you maybe don't want to think about or don't want to let go of, right. Or don't want to acknowledge and your journal is a mirror. So manage stress. Number four, sleep. How many times do I talk about sleep, right? But it's so critical. And the things that I just mentioned, which is so cool because number one, staying away from sugar and things that fluctuate your blood sugar too much, those processed foods and caffeine, also alcohol, those things you got to be careful of. Um, Having enough protein at every meal and balancing your blood sugar um, you know, with the foods that you eat and having enough fat in your meals, that also helps you to sleep better when you manage stress and you are not wired, but tired, and you can actually turn off your brain that helps you to sleep better. And number four is sleep. So I really need you to focus on this. And if you, you know, if you are somebody who identifies with always being a bad sleeper, I want you to know that I have never worked with somebody ever in 16 years where we weren't able to create an amazing sleeping pattern, like literally. And I've had a client who literally was in early menopause in her thirties because she only slept one hour a night. Okay. So it requires time and it requires routine and it requires consistency, but I promise you that it is possible. And there are lots of podcasts on here that talk about sleep. And there's one that talks about all the different things that you should know about how to get a better sleep that people don't often talk about, because oftentimes it's just about, you know, blue light or your room being dark and really sleep hygiene when there's so many more things that are going to help you have a good sleep. Number one being managing your blood sugar. Okay. Number five is exercise. 
Exercise, again, ties in, it helps to stimulate your brain. Learning helps to stimulate your brain. So even with exercise, when you're doing something different, you're learning something different, that's helping your brain. But the big thing is, is that it's slowing down that wasting, right? And when you exercise, you're reducing stress, you're helping to increase insulin sensitivity. Um, you are helping to just let things out of your body, right? The emotions, frustrations, whatever, you can get those out. You don't want to hold things in your body and exercise can really help facilitate that. So, and maintaining muscle mass, the more muscle mass that you maintain, the less disease risk for Alzheimer's and dementia. Because again, I said type two diabetes and what is what is that? That's insulin resistance. And to increase insulin sensitivity, we need less fat, more muscle. Okay. So, you know, when people are talking about weight loss, they want to see a number on the scale, but really, you know, what I talk about when we should be talking about is gaining muscle, because that is really what we want to be doing is we want to be focused on muscle, not on the loss of fat. Um, because the muscle, if you focus on the muscle, everything else takes care of itself. Okay. And that doesn't mean that you can just exercise because gosh knows I talk about that enough. Um, you have to marry your exercise routine with the right diet and be doing all of these things that I'm talking about that are going to help your brain. They're the same things that are going to help you to feel better, have more energy, you know, protect your mental health. Um, etc. So number six, you've got to look at, are there any hormonal imbalances? Okay. So if you were doing all of these things and, you know, you are somebody who is, you know, healthy and fit like myself, for example, right. Um, if I'm doing all of these things and I still have a lot of brain fogs and I'm like, okay, well now what? So at that point, you, you got to look at a few things. Okay. So number six and seven that I'm going to talk about right now, um, are going to be more specific and not necessarily relate to as many people. A lot of the things that I just talked about, just about all of us should do and should focus on. So with a hormonal imbalance, that could be that adrenal insufficiency. So if you've been burning the candle at both ends, way too long. If you cannot handle any kind of stress, like if any kind of stress, loud noises just absolutely make you explode. Um, or if you feel, you know, anxious or overwhelmed with tiny changes in your life, if you feel wired, but tired, right? If, if at night you were so exhausted and yet you can't sleep because you just feel wired and your brain just keeps going, those are hormonal imbalances. And there's a lot that we can do about that. And that is why I do Dutch testing, because we can see exactly what that 24 hour cortisol pattern is and what is happening for you so that we can, you know, figure out exactly what you need at the right time of day. Some people need, um, you know, supplements and foods that are going to help to increase their energy. Some people need to cycle their carbohydrates to lower cortisol levels, for example, maybe at night. So there's a lot that can be done, but figuring out if there is a underlying hormonal imbalance is very critical. The other thing is, is it could be, you know, a like low thyroid. So low thyroid is also a hormonal imbalance. And most of the time it's also an autoimmune disease. 
and autoimmune disease. If you have an autoimmune disease, you are also at a higher risk and more predisposed to brain fog. Okay. Because autoimmune diseases cause more inflammation. And again, as I said in the beginning, the more inflammation you have, likely the more brain fog you're going to have and also the higher risk of disease you're going to have. So really important to get those things under control. And if you do have an autoimmune disease, it means that you have to be really much more on top of things than your average person. Okay. So low thyroid is something that I see a lot. It is becoming really like an, an epidemic and the majority 95% of women who have low thyroid actually do have an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's. And even if you're getting your TSH tested, um, by your doctor yearly, that's not necessarily going to show you, um, that there's, you know, something going on. So often I have had clients, um, friends who are practitioners who found out that they had Hashimoto's and yet their TSH was always in the normal range. And so what you need to take away from that is that there's a wide range of normal. And so what is normal for somebody else might not be normal for you. And, and so always advocate for yourself if you're still not feeling well. And if you are having like signs of low thyroid would be low energy, um, difficulty losing weight problems, you know, with your mood, cold hands, cold feet, problems, sleeping, those are all things that could point you in that direction. So it's worth asking your doctor for a full thyroid panel. Um, and I often recommend that to some of my clients and while the Dutch test does not actually test your thyroid, there are markers in the Dutch test that show me that the thyroid could be a problem with your HPA access. Okay. So that is typically when, um, I, I send clients to their doctors to get, uh, to get their blood tested. Um, you could also have adrenal insufficiency, right? Which is if you burn the candle at both ends too long, you can absolutely feel burnt out have hardly any energy whatsoever, no matter how much you sleep. And that is the burnout stage. And you can heal and come back from that. It just takes time. Everything healing takes time, right? And, and getting rid of brain fog takes time. However, for a lot of people in the first few weeks working with me, the brain fog really starts to dissipate because once you stabilize those blood sugars, once you reduce inflammation with the food that you were eating, you know, the world starts to open up, right? You start to be able to see things and the, and the fog dissipates. So um, the final thing that I want to talk to you about with respect to brain health is allergies. So, you know, um, allergies can cause reactions with your immune system, um, you know, mast cell issues, and your immune system could be overreacting. There could be, it could be causing more histamine, could be causing more inflammation. And all of those things can increase brain fog. So, you know, there's, there's many different layers of this. And I just want you to know that if you are suffering with brain fog, that these are the things, these are the steps that you want to go through to start dissipating that for yourself. Okay. And like I said, you definitely want to go to your healthcare practitioner um, and, you know, be tested and to rule out anything else 
Um, but if you are, if you've just had a baby or if you're in perimenopause or if you're just really stressed or, you know, possibly there's some other underlying hormonal imbalances going on, those are reasons why you could have brain fog and it has nothing to do with any kind of brain disease. And I just want you to know that and, you know, can be resolved in a matter. I have seen women who have resolved their brain fog in a matter of, you know, weeks and months, um, certainly. And sometimes it might take a little bit longer. Every single person is different in the severity of what they're going through. Um, I also want to point out on the allergy perspective, you know, wheat, celiac, that's an autoimmune disease that is very common these days and also something that causes a lot of brain fog. So if you have a lot of brain fog, you know, doing what I recommended on tip number one should, you know, if you're, if you're taking out processed foods, which includes bread and anything in a flour, because that's processed, it's not um, created that way. didn't come out of the ground that way. As I said, you know, that is really going to reduce inflammation because wheat and gluten, um, can be highly inflammatory, especially if you have an underlying, um, autoimmune disease that you may not know about. A lot of people have, you know, bloating and brain fog with wheat, um, and they may or may not have celiac. You can still have these symptoms and not be celiac. So I just wanted to point that out for you because again, when, we, when it comes to allergies, allergies increase inflammation, they have your whole immune system acting up, you know, histamine response, mast cells, all sorts of things are going on that can that absolutely wreak havoc on your executive function, your decision-making, your memory, um, motivation, all of those things. So I hope that this was helpful for you and definitely, you know, share it with a friend. I think if you have, you know, as women, we need to support each other. We need to share these things. We need to be like, Hey, this, you know, might be coming up for you. Or you mentioned the other day that you feel like you're, you know, your head is a sieve. Well, you know, these are some things you might want to try, right? So, um, thank you so much for being a part of my community and I am very much looking forward to hopefully connecting with many of you more as I start doing these masterclasses to really teach you the fundamentals of so many things that I talk about in a way that you can start applying to your life. So until next time, um, have an absolutely amazing day. If you love this, like I said, please share it with your friends. Um, tag me on Instagram. Ask me um, for any topics that you would like to hear. I absolutely love connecting with you. And until next time.